Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, as my my uh, colleague, Dr. Tedros at the World Health Organization always says. Uh, today we have my very good friend, Kelly Shu on. I've been waiting. I've, I've wanted Kelly on for such a really long time. <laughs> and uh, and we just, our schedules just didn't allow. And so finally the magic happened and here she is in the flesh, Miss Kelly. Yay. Yay. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on National <clears throat> Salami Day. I'm so excited. Yes. I cannot wait to eat some salami. I see a charcuterie board in our future. I really think that that needs to happen. They used to be called Lunchables, but now I was told we don't call them that anymore. We call them charcuterie boards. Yeah, because we're fancy and adults now. I know, right? This is where And then now. we can pay so much more for the same stuff. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. We can get That's expensive why. little sliced cheese. Mm, yes. See? Mm -hmm. Today, we are going to round out the remainder of subsection C, the chapters in the ICD-10 guidelines. Um, and, and these are absolutely some of the most important codes, I think, because I don't know about you, but I look at this as the exception. So you either mm -hmm. have a disease, an injury, an illness, or an external cause. But what about those visits that don't really fit into that? We're not really treating something it's a kind of a sort of different scenario mm -hmm. that's where these codes shine they really do i think i think these are probably um the the powerhouse codes because they really they cover all those oddball situations they give a lot more information sometimes when you need just a little bit extra um and they you know, really just round out that picture of the patient on that date of service. Absolutely. And and just to remind friends that these are not procedure codes. These are still diagnosis codes, but mm -hmm. not really a diagnosis, more of a... A reason. Yeah. A, and, the reason uh, that the patient's there, not what's being done about it. Now, I don't know about you, Kelly, but since I've been in this industry for a really long time. <clears throat> Five, 10 years? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go with that. Um, Z, these Z codes were often frowned upon. Well, I remember way back, um, even not, maybe not even way back. Let's go 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. They were kind of like the, you know, the bad. Yeah. We don't use Z codes because they don't we get don't paid. Use them. They don't get paid. Um, They're a waste of time. We need you to focus on your, get those codes that are going to get us paid for these things. We'll, we'll worry about the rest of that some other time. Yeah. The times have changed. I see a lot now thinking, rethinking that, that way of thinking and mm -hmm. realizing that we tell a different story when we're using these codes. Not all of the codes can be reported as a first listed or as a primary diagnosis code, but a lot of them can. They absolutely and, can. And they should when it when it's appropriate. And sometimes those diagnosis codes actually follow the Z codes, not right, you know, in in, in sequencing. And that's why I think Reading the guidelines, and they I say this every single time, reading the guidelines is absolutely the key to successful diagnosis coding. Um, and, and I know that you love value-based reimbursement. Of course. Everything risk adjustment. 
Um, (laughs) And so diagnosis coding, correct diagnosis coding is more important now than it's ever been. It really, really is. And it's getting as more and more payers are moving to value-based reimbursement. It's just going to get so much more attention and focus and almost almost like a retraining for some people who have gotten into just, you know, let's crank out with the basic codes. We can do this. And man, my my productivity numbers look great. But um, when we're switching over to that value-based reimbursement, it's it's worth it to put a little extra effort in to make sure you're, you're capturing everything that's really going to give that big picture. And beyond value-based reimbursement, I've been working on a project lately um, regarding MIPS and HEDIS. Um, both sides of the of the of the aisle, the fee for service MIPS, and then the you know Medicare Advantage HEDIS, and you know there's so many measures that we have to report. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's it's just because it is good medicine, or we're screening to kind of um, mitigate the risk of that getting worse. And the Z codes really support sometimes why we do those performance measures. Absolutely, they do. They're they're fantastic for, you know, giving that 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 reasoning that not not again the not the procedure portion, but the why that goes into it. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of times, you know, they'll recommend that a depression screening happen to mm-hmm. try to mitigate depression as you know we get older or mm-hmm. during a, a major pandemic, like we just right. had. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I gotta wiggle around a little bit. Um, Absolutely. But. I think it's important that we remember that sometimes that screening really is preventive and might Mm -hmm. better be described by Mm -hmm. one of the encounter codes. Absolutely. And I think with those screening codes, so many people are familiar or aware more of the screening for breast cancer, screening for prostate cancer, that they kind of overlook the screening for depressions, the screening for other associated health risks. so those are those are great things that again reading through the guidelines and brushing up on the codes every once in a while is just a, a great way to I don't know in, increase your knowledge base and make you more of a value yourself to your organization. Absolutely. Now we talked about screening. So uh-huh. I always like to to remind my friends that when we talk about procedures I kind of like to bucket them into one of three categories. Okay. So the first category is the screening bucket. A lot of times we do procedures because we want to see if there's anything going on that we might need to take, you know, keep an eye out on, or, (laughs) you know, maybe that it's not symptomatic. So patient comes and they're not having any signs and symptoms. They don't have a definitive diagnosis. Mm-hmm. of a specific condition, but maybe they're um, at risk by either age or ethnicity or mm-hmm. history of... Oh, yeah, family history is a good one. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Um, the screening is good medicine. Now, the sad part about that is not all payers pay for all screenings. Right. I found that the Affordable Care Act kind of blew the doors open and we have so many more screenings than we used to. Yes. Um, but we still are limited to by what the uh, U.S. Preventive Task Force has mm-hmm. deemed medically necessary and what's not. So from a mm-hmm. pain perspective, and I, I'm, I'll share with you. So I live in South Florida. 
Mm-hmm. One of the biggest risks that we have in South Florida is skin cancer. Oh yeah. But a skin cancer screening, so no, not symptomatic, no signs, mm-hmm. no symptoms, is not considered a covered screening. Which is insane because just the the screening to look for things or to help prevent things or to educate to prevent future conditions can save so much money, so much stress, so much heartache for patients, um, so much wear and tear on the healthcare industry in general. I I don't know. I feel like if I was an insurer, I'd want to be like, please get screened for everything. And then, you know, if we catch something sooner, it's cheaper for me. Yay. Um, and it's cheaper for you. Yay. And you'll be healthier longer. Yay. So I, I, I don't know. It seems win, win, win to me, but. Well, you know. I think that sometimes, <laughs> and again, this is just my personal thoughts. Um, I think sometimes when some of the payers require HEDIS measures, or mm-hmm. even you know, if we look at, at macro for the MIPS or the APM measures, um, they do recommend some of those screenings, but they don't. they don't pay for some of the screenings. And that's kind of a catch 22. It really is. It's, it's a hard thing to justify. And for some patients, they're more than willing to get their screenings, but sometimes not everybody can afford to get the screenings. And it's, it's a really hard spot to be in to say, yeah, I know it's smart to do that, but I also want to be able to pay my rent this month. So. Sounds like a social determinant of health. That, that could be um, a way to perhaps indicate patients are having issues that they need to take into account when we're looking at that whole picture of the patient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do, I love that. And I think it was a couple of years ago when, when we started getting the guidance for social determinants of health, mm-hmm. I got so excited. I don't, I know I you do too. I know. Yeah. But we kind have to remember that they only, they only really matter when they count. Does that make sense? It does. It's we have we have lots of codes for issues or situations or experiences experiences that a patient might be having, um, that that obviously could affect their their how well they're able to maintain their health plans. Um, we don't really have any way to indicate, hey, we are checking in with this patient, but they're doing fine and we don't have anything on them. So there's no real way to indicate that versus no, I just didn't do it at all. Um, yeah. so, and if you have that patient who's willing to share, you know what? Yeah, I am worried about my finances. I am worried about the fact that I don't have food or, you know what? I haven't had a place to live for this last month. Um, if you have a patient that's willing to share that, that's fantastic. And it's, it really, I think goes to show a great, um, bond of trust in the doctor patient relationship. Um, but not all patients are comfortable sharing that information. Um, so you know, the codes are really only as good as the, your ability to get them too. But yeah, if, like you said, we don't have a way really to identify when somebody doesn't need any services or any additional health. I'm hoping that's going to be one of the codes coming in the next year or two. I know it's not going to be out in 2024, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's, there's going to be one coming up. So we can at least show that um, providers are, are doing the work. Um, 
That was one of the oh, areas that really grew a lot last year. Not this it year. Really but last year we had a lot of additions to social mm -hmm. determinants of health. And um, but I do know that there's that this year the guidance is really strong to say um, we don't need to code everything that might relate to the patient, only those things yes. that affect the patient. So for example, mom lives alone. And mom loves living alone. Mom's yeah. got no problem. She's got all her friends. She yeah. goes on her social visits. And mm -hmm. so that's, although she lives alone, it's not a problem for her. Right. So it would not be appropriate to use the code of living alone because it, it doesn't right. contribute or take away from her current healthcare mm -hmm. situation. Right? Yeah. The, the actual, I think the description of the code actually says problems related to living alone. So right. if mom is exceptionally lonely, if mom is withdrawing from society, if mom can't get out the way that she used to, um, any of those things are getting in the way, then absolutely we'd want to identify that problem living alone. But if, well, she if mom's living her, her best a life of years ago and mm -hmm. when she fractured her wrist, it was a problem mm -hmm. during the healing process. Um, but once the cast came off and she didn't require any assistance and she was mm -hmm. going back and forth to physical therapy, then living alone no longer was a problem. It was only a problem during those few weeks that she was mm -hmm. in a cast. And even then, the problem was she just needed some assistance mm -hmm. either, you know, uh, uh, with her activities of daily living for dressing and bathing. Otherwise, mm -hmm. mom was still fine. She cooked the right. best meal while she was, I just, I won't forget that meal. It was such an amazing <laughs> meal. Um, but, but again, that's one of, because it's timing. It does. That's a great thing about these SDOH codes too. These are not an indicator of, you know, a lifelong or chronic problem. These are what's going on in your life in that picture of that day. So when mom's got the cast on and she can't do much, great. And then a month or two from now when the cast comes off and she goes back to living her best life, then fantastic. That's not necessary anymore. Um, right. Which is, the codes are so flexible. I, I, I just, I love the SDOH codes. They, they really contribute, I think, quite a bit. I do too. Um, one of the areas that I have people that kind of struggle with are the mm -hmm. follow-up codes. Okay. And, and I think, um, like I just recently did an audit for an interventional radiology group okay. and they were going in and doing, um, ultrasounds of the thyroid post thyroidectomy mm -hmm. history of thyroid cancer removed mm -hmm. two years ago. Mm -hmm. So they were doing their little surveillance as they should, but the cancer wasn't there anymore. And mm -hmm. they're not treating the cancer anymore. Mm -hmm. but we still follow up just to make right. sure. We want to keep a watchful eye. And the appropriate diagnosis codes would be those follow-up examination after completed either malignant neoplasm or not malignant neoplasm. Mm -hmm. And having to explain that to the providers was a little challenging. I'm not going to lie. Because in their minds, the reason they're doing it is because the patient had cancer. And so right. they're not coders. They're clinical people. And they so what their, their thoughts are cancer. Right. 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 But yeah, like you said, these follow-up codes, the patients completed the treatment for whatever that condition was, primarily cancers, like you said. 
things that would qualify for that history of state thing. Um, and once that's done and there's no active treatment being directed at that site, but you want to keep that watchful eye to make sure that, you know, you're there if something rears its head again, that's definitely an app or I'm sorry, a follow-up code just to, it's like the babysitting code, if you will, just making sure that everything behaves the way it's supposed to. I would tell the rest of the story with a Z code, personal mm -hmm. history of. Very much. Um, so I would start with the Z08 or 09, and then I would mm -hmm. use my history of Z codes to kind mm -hmm. of wrap the story up. But yeah, the whole encounter, really, if we found nothing, if we're mm -hmm. still, thumbs up, if, yeah, um, then it should only be those two Z codes. There's really no other reason. Yeah, the follow-up and the more specific, because our follow-up codes really don't get quite as specific. So those those personal history of codes really, again, just round out that picture and give that specificity of what it was that we're watching. So I have to ask you the question. Uh -huh. I know that you teach too. Um, uh -huh. How do you answer the question of observation? So... I'm assuming since we're in the diagnosis guidelines, you're talking right. about the diagnosis observation, not like the status for a patient in the hospital. Okay. So those, um, they have such specific limited use um, that I often tell students that if you find yourself leaning toward this diagnosis code, I want you to double check the why. Um, there's only three of them. Um, they're very, very specific use. It's what observation for, um, a condition that was suspected and ultimately ruled out and they have no other condition. Well, that they, they added can... more codes this year for oh, yes. some of those, okay. like, um, um, pediatric sleep apnea, okay. where they, they do the sleep apnea study mm -hmm. because they suspect pediatric mm -hmm. sleep apnea. But right. then after the study comes back, it was not. So they ruled it okay. out. Yeah. Anything, that's how I, I like to explain it is, is the reason is that you, you thought that there was something going on. So maybe there's mm -hmm. a sign or a symptom, mm -hmm. to do this, maybe a diagnostic procedure. But then the, the post-operative diagnosis, remember we yeah. code from the post, not the pre, the mm -hmm. post-operative diagnosis comes back that, Oh, no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. It, it turned mm -hmm. out to not be what we thought it was. So it's actually right. a good thing. It and is a good thing. The reason becomes that, that we were observing to see mm -hmm. if that was indeed the case. So I think that one, mm -hmm. like you said, take a second look at it. Just really in case. See what that post-operative um, or post-procedural, right? Yes. Diagnosis yeah. turns out to be so that we're making sure that we're using the correct diagnosis to really talk mm -hmm. about what happened. And, and I don't know about you, but I think sometimes when we start to see a pattern of diagnosis codes come in during an mm -hmm. annual change, that that might almost be like a window into some of the areas in the future that we might see more and more um, mm -hmm. like this suspected, but ruled out. Yes. Yeah. There, I, I would agree with that. They're kind of testing the waters, maybe. <laughs> All right. Thoughts on zoo code? Um, I I love a good zoo. Um, 
I like giraffe. How are you? What's your favorite zoo animal? I'm I'm kind of a penguin fan myself. Um, they're especially when they're like having their fun through the water. Yeah, but you know, as far as the the zoo codes and doctors' offices, I think there's they're so commonly used. They're so frequent that they become almost um, people people are so conf confidently using them that they think they know everything that goes into them. And it's, it's almost like we've, I don't want to say we've looped back around and we don't know what we're doing, but I think people are so comfortable with them that then they start to second guess and wait, which, cause we do, I see that a lot, even at my current job, which one should I use the zoo or the zoo 0.01? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, and it's things that they've used for years and they've been fine and they've been comfortable. And then somebody all of a sudden is like, wait, but are we right? Um, <clears throat> I just did a project for uh, one of the payers and I was looking at pediatric diagnosis codes, which mm -hmm. include a lot of those routine and administrative examinations. So yeah. kind of like that, you know, the zoo, but maybe for the pediatric use, but it comes down to the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. We don't, the, the abnormal findings, it's very literal. You found it at today's visit. That's yeah. another thing I think I say it all the time, Kelly. We're <laughs> talking about today. What's happening right. today? We're right. not talking about what it could be. Right. Because we'll all be dead someday. But not today. Right. God, I hope not. No. <laughs> but, but I'm saying, like, I think mm -hmm. we have to remember that we're talking about what does it look like today? So when we mm -hmm. use that new code, an abnormal finding today, not an abnormal Is, finding six months ago. Mm -mm. Right? No, right. If, if that patient came in with the conditions that you are already familiar with and treating and aware of and statusing and all that loveliness, those aren't abnormal today. Those are a normal finding for what you would expect for that patient. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if they came in with something new, then we're going abnormal. Right. And then tell me what you found. Right. Yeah. That's the other big thing is we need to know what it was. You can't right. just say it's abnormal. What was abnormal? Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. So I see it, that. Go ahead. It, I was just going to say, it just, it seems, I know because we're so um, enmeshed in these codes, it seems so obvious sometimes. <laughs> um, and I know I'm sure that this happens to other people. I'll be talking with somebody on codes maybe that I'm not as familiar with and they are and they'll be like, it's so simple. It's very clear. It's right there. I do this all the time. So I think it's great sometimes to just go back and kind of, I don't know, reacquaint yourself with things. Even, even when you're so familiar with them, sometimes it's good to reacquaint just to, just to make sure. Well, you know, I, I say it all the time. The, you've got to read the guidelines. You've got to read them. Mm -hmm. They're going to help you with, with sequencing. They're going to help you with, mm -hmm. um, you know, understanding the concept behind a term. Mm -hmm. There's going to change. Now, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of changes this year. Not so much. But last year. We, we had, had a handful. Yeah. yeah it, was it was impressive last year. It was and, fun. Um, uh, also, last year, last year, we expanded Chapter 22. Oh, I did see that. So, I... Okay, I, I'm not going to ask, but you uh -huh. seem very young, Kelly. Do you remember there was a movie out there called The Jerk with Steve Yeah, Martin? absolutely. Okay, and in the movie, mm -hmm. he talks about his special purpose. 
Yes. Yes. This is not what that chapter is about. This is not what that chapter is about. No. Absolutely not. Nope. A little bit more, you know, mm. clinical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not as fun. But Definitely. they did open up another chapter mm -hmm. during our, our COVID pandemic. So yes. they opened it up to talk about COVID and then mm -hmm. to talk about post COVID, which post COVID. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, now, and the funny thing that is that post COVID um, instructions is actually in the infectious disease section of the guidelines and not they are. why. Um, that's a great question. I would love to say <laughs> that I understand the reasoning for all of these things. My only figure that I, I, I don't, I don't know. I just more that that's where you would expect to find them. I think. That makes sense. But I, I I hope that maybe they move that guidance at some point to chapter 22. And only because my logic is, yes, it's an infectious disease, but it's not coded in that right. chapter. It's really it's not coded in chapter 22. So if anybody out there mm -hmm. from the American Hospital Association is listening, hello, um, we, we, we think it would be better represented in 22. Now, mm -hmm. they're thinking people don't read that far into the guidelines. Maybe. That makes sense. I mean, I don't have, I, we haven't had a ton of history with these, these chapter 22 codes. Are they intended to be long-term or will they get folded into the rest of the appropriate book at some point? I don't know. Because, I mean, I maybe they're laying the groundwork for moving that code? I don't know. That's a great thought. Like, uh, I don't want to say like one, temporary codes, but. Oh, that might make sense. But there's nothing in the guidelines to suggest mm -hmm. that. So there really isn't. I think I think it's definitely, I mean, a whole new experience for most of us having never lived through that pandemic situation before. That was, that was insane. And I still have like the, the year. So 2020 to 22, I call it the year because I. Honestly, it all blended together so much that I don't remember uh -huh. what started in 20, 21, 22. It was like the whole right. conglomeration. Mm -hmm. now, I remember 2020 because my daughter graduated. And then after that, it's kind of a blur. <laughs> I um. So one of the things that's in chapter 22 that I think is really interesting is vaping related disorders. Mm hmm. But yeah, I don't know that we've done enough research on vaping to identify specifically that something is a vaping related disorder. Does that make I, sense? Yet it absolutely makes sense. I thought at the time when it was released, I understood the need for the COVID coding and things and guidance around, surrounding that that made a lot of sense to me. But when vaping kind of like latched on and, and made it into those U codes as well. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder where that came from. Uh, maybe they're trying to establish those those patterns. Um I I don't know how they would necessarily specific most people that I know that vape used to smoke and they got away from smoking because Agreed. not a Kelly sanctioned opinion, but vaping is healthier. Um, so no, how no, would they I know? judge smokers as, as okay. a, right. I, I, I told my husband smokes and I love that mm -hmm. man with all my heart and soul and everybody knows 
He is the light of my life. He has mm-hmm. one flaw. He smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I passively, aggressively leave uh, American Lung Association pamphlets on his pillow. Fantastic. Yes. With, with a little yes. chocolate, right? But uh, heart shape. Well, yeah, you got to make it. Yeah. Right, Ease right. it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but on a regular. So those who know okay. me know that I'm I mean, a little passive aggressive. Well, I know. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not sure how they would d- differentiate between a smoking-related lung disease versus vaping-related d- lung disease. Maybe this is one of those situations that if I had more clinical knowledge in that area, I'd be like, yeah, it's totally clear. You can't tell. But not being clinical. Um, As our nursing friends do to us often. Hmm. I mean, sometimes it's deserved on my part. I don't, you know, but then we can turn it around and I can do the same thing to them with coding related stuff. So I figure as long as it's a two-way street, it's okay. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always tell my, my nursing friends, the, the reason you struggle with coding is because you know too much. Mm-hmm. And coders, we have a nice set of, oh, guidelines. We have rules, yeah. That we need to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, coders are looking at it from the business of medicine side. So we're looking mm-hmm. at it on how we get reimbursed for those services. Now, that is a lot different than the clinical side, mm-hmm. where they're simply looking at it from a healthcare perspective, where we have to take that, we have to make that distinction between the two. And mm-hmm. then- we take things very literal as coders. Yes. You know, if it's not supported in the guidance that was being given to us, then it's not reimbursable. Never do we say disrespectfully that it's not medically necessary. I always say it's not medically necessary for the, this payer to pay that bill. Very that, much. So. I like that. Yes. Yeah. It's a half a sentence. Yes. I like it. <laughs> well, Kelly, our time yes. is up already. Can you already? That went so quickly. We have to do this again. We will. Okay. Game. I'm game. I am down. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I think um, next season we are going to start focusing on ICD-10. No, okay. that was this season. Next season. Thanks. What's the other? CPT. Uh, okay, we'll CPT. Looking at CPT and Hicks Picks next season. Fantastic. And, um, yes. So Excellent. Yay. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. Thanks and, again for having um, me. Make sure your charcuterie board this evening is absolutely a variety, including salami. Definitely salami. Couple of couple of different kinds, I think, is the plan. Mm-hmm. I know when I was little, I used to eat a lot of hard salami sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as I got older, I don't mm-hmm. maybe because it wasn't already in the fridge. A lot of yeah. things I ate because they were in the fridge. That does make it easier when you open the fridge and food is magically there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's harder to adults sometimes. <laughs> I ain't kidding, sister. <laughs> All right, this is Kelly's information that is on the ticket there. If you have any questions, reach out to her. She is brilliant. Um, if value-based reimbursement, ICD-10 coding, general mm-hmm. coding, reach out. Uh, connect with Kelly on LinkedIn. She has a wealth of knowledge, guys. And we will see you again in two weeks. Yes. Thanks for watching.